You're listening to episode 88 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. I'm not trying to get political on this show, but guys, I have bad news that will impact my future on the show. Alright, fire away. I just got drafted into the Space Force to fight the Shi'ar <laughs> Empire. <laughs> You're Cadet 2? I'm Cadet 2. Number 2, <laughs> Cadet. Number 2, specifically number 2. They're gonna eat you alive, man. I'm Your really squishy scared. body can't handle it. I'm very scared. And very squishy. And very squishy. <laughs> Listen, you and Pete took a week off and you come back with this weak-ass shit. <laughs> we have to kill. Hey, listen. Hey, shut the fuck up. We have guests. You're embarrassing me. That's true. I agree with Phil. We do have guests, and I'm going to introduce them and completely no sell you, Phil, because quite frankly, I wish you would get taken away into space. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> joining us today are Kathleen Kralowek and Ben Khan, two amazing creators. Uh, these are two people who we have built a relationship with over several different comic book conventions. So thank you for joining us here today, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Absolutely. Um, and you guys have done some awesome work uh, in researching for this episode. I've gotten to really dive into what you guys are doing creatively. And uh, it's it's fantastic. Uh, and I know Marco actually... Uh, made a purchase uh, from you, Kathleen, at the last convention we did together, uh, uh, Wizard yep. World Philly. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Uh, I got a Swamp Thing commission, and it was dope. Thanks. I'm so glad you liked it. Which one was it? Should I just go grab it? Hey, why that. not? Go, I go can get it, Marco. Go get it. Listen, the only... Fill, fill in time. Put in like a, a thing on my face. Okay. Well, listen, my only issue with that commission is that you guys enabled Marco's terrible, terrible habit of reading Swamp Thing books. Nah. <laughs> nothing terrible about that habit. We, we were really hoping to break him of that. And so even though he does have an absolutely terrible habit, uh, this commission came out absolutely beautifully. Uh, I remember. <laughs> it was a bad habit. <laughs> it's a very uh, bad habit. Oh, that one. Yeah. yeah. There it is. Uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. We posted the color it. work is just so good. Dude, it's sick. It's up on our social media. Uh, we'll repost it so you guys can take another look. Uh, if you want to get a commission, that's the kind of high quality that you're going to get. So before we even jump into the interview, where can people get a commission if they want to reach out to you? Oh, that? yeah. Um, my Instagram is a great way to reach me. Um, K Kralowicz. So that's um, K-K-R-A-L-O-W-E-C on Instagram. Exactly how it's pronounced. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be like a good place to start. I don't know. Should I put my email too? Sure. My email is Callyway at gmail.com and that's C-A-L-I-W-A-Y at gmail.com. Cool. And and just so we know, uh, you don't just do Swamp Thing. You do all manner of different things. Uh, Swamp Thing was just a special request because Marco has an obsession. 
It's not a nerd. That would, that would be a really weird niche, right? Like, if it's like, I only do Swamp Thing commissions, all right? I'm sorry. Everyone, stop emailing me. I just do Swamp Thing. <laughs> I guarantee Marco would order one probably once a week, so. He's putting my kids through college. <laughs> it was fun. I never drew Swamp Thing before. I'm like, this guy is fun because he's like so many leaves and swirling, you know, shapes and stuff. So I was like. This is cool. Yeah, I don't know how many other people are going to be interested in getting a Swamp Thing commission, but um, I have I have somebody else who's commissioning me to Crawler. That's the character. It's called the Crawler, and it's from some ew. Oh, Nightcrawler. I think I I don't think it's that Crawler. I think it's a different Crawler. <laughs> it's it's from some like indie fantasy. That's kind of cool. I have to say though, the Crawler is like a super gross name. Like that's just like. <laughs> 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 Brings bad things to mind, I know. Well, she said it's from this really small, like, this really small, I don't know, because it's sort of fan created, but it's called uh, Batman? I don't know if you guys are- <laughs> You know, I think it's, I think it's really going to blow up. What's the strangest thing you've ever been asked to draw? Is there anything that sticks out to you? The strangest thing I've ever been asked you, to draw. You come up with lots of weird stuff to draw on your own. <laughs> this is true. Um, I Probably nobody's asked me to draw stuff like what appears in the Electricity is Your Element book. Yeah, you draw some pretty trippy stuff. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, you know what? Um, people sometimes ask me to draw stuff I never heard of, like from anime, but... You know, that's what phones are for. I feel I feel like everybody in um in the in the, the setting of the artist alley has been asked to draw some character that they've never heard of. And then you just gotta you just gotta look them up and you know, someone wants me to draw it, so I'll just Oh, so like Swamp Thing. I could have started she was gonna go, Oh yeah, like this one guy, he asked me for some uh guy like Swamp Thing. It was it was weird. It was, <laughs> she knows Swamp Thing because I just like Living with me is a constant like DC history crash course 101. This is true. <laughs> also, I had just happened to find some really old um like like I guess from Oh, some back issues. It was like some like uh like some late 80s. Yeah. They had insane covers on those. Yeah, it's like this Art Nouveau approach on the covers. Uh, not Art Nouveau, but you know, in the 80s there was popular there was a couple of people who were doing this art style that like kind of relates to Art Nouveau and there was like you know, Craig P. Russell and, um, you know, people were in you know, Amethyst, uh, Princess of Gemworld had this kind of style. It was like this super, like, ornate, drippy style. It was like, you know, and so I was like, wow, there was like a couple of, of issues of Swamp Thing I found in like one of those used comic book racks and stuff. I was like, this is like an amazing piece of art that, um, you know, and they don't, they don't, a lot of people don't draw like that anymore. This, this part of the show is the most Marco catered portion of any episode we've ever done we've talked about swamp thing for like 10 minutes brought up obscure anime and obscure indie books marco's <laughs> weird lust is satisfied right now <laughs> so speaking of indie books uh kathleen you mentioned electricity is her element and uh i was reading this in preparation and uh it's it's very interesting very very different and i i wanted to talk to you a little bit about what inspired this oh man uh, so I have this character called Kerbop the Angel, which is like, she's a cat, she's an angel, she's, you know. Enough said. <laughs> <laughs> she crosses through different dimensions, um, protecting this solar system from all the baddies and problems 
that, um, I don't know, just interfere with the course of uh, life and the well-being of creatures in the solar system in all the different dimensions. And so um, the electricity is your element. It kind of just like stream of consciousness type. I just started designing these space dragon snakes and they, they were kind of like mechanical in nature and they, you know, they, they seem to... Uh, have have different metals associated with them you know there was there was a chrome and a gold and a silver and a like a platinum and then um you know i started thinking about uh jupiter and the great red spot of jupiter which is shrinking um astronomers have have noticed it slowly is losing its size and so in a few hundred years jupiter won't even have a spot anymore so i thought about like where are these dragons like these creatures lived in the vortex of, and they're built in just such a way that they really, in, they are really well designed to dwell in that spinning environment. And so we have this huge red serpent, which is inhabiting the big red spot and um, sort of, you know, has developed kind of a big head about it since it's the only thing that lives there and thinks of itself in like control, like of this humongous storm. And then the other, the other little dragons, the other littler, littler storms around and so this dragon would be motivated to not let the storm go away um, and not shrink out of existence. So we thought about how they would sort of get together and plan, you know, to summon chaos to come back and, you know, do so with alchemical magical means. And, you know, from, remember from the craft, I summoned fire, water, earth, you know, so they, they have yeah. their collection of elements, which they choose to call on. And they have a, then a different conversation with each one. What I what I love the most about this is that it's it doesn't look like really anything on the stands right now. It's 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 got such a different kind of look and and feel and vibe and when I first opened the book and I mean this in the best way, I was like what am I looking at? Like this is this is so like overwhelming and then you get you know pages and pages deeper and things start to kind of take shape and take take form more. <clears throat> And you have a better understanding of it. And it's like, oh, this is actually amazing. Uh, so I, I had a great time with it. Uh, and can you tell people where they can find Electricity as their Element if they want to check it out, which I highly recommend that you do? It's available online on my Tapastic. Um, so if you look for me on Tapastic.com, or I guess they've changed their website to Tapas.io. It's online Webtoons as well. So if you go to line webtoons, you can find, and then if you want um, the book, the actual physical book with, um, you know, with my little words in front and the character sketches and stuff, that's on my Etsy store. So, oh. yeah. So I have an Etsy store. Yeah. It's, it's um, the same as my Instagram. So Etsy on Etsy, it's K Kralowick. Awesome. I didn't realize there was a physical book. That's actually really exciting. So, uh, Ben, I wanted to I wanted to ask you uh, because you, I, I've heard you mention before that sort of the way you got into comics was through Green Lantern books, some of the the early Jeff Johns stuff and um, the the Runaways. Uh, so, do those books go into and, and sort of inspire what you do now? Like, what I know those books are how you started, but what really inspired you to start your journey as a creator and, and and what inspires you today? So those are what got me in as fans of this series. What kind of got me down the road of a creator, I'd say, was Sandman, really. Uh, that was kind of definitely the one that made me decide I wanted to do it. And 
with every story I do, I'm always pulling from dozens of different influences and visual motifs and styles. And you pull it from comics, from games, to movies, to TV, things you see. Just being like, I want to try this tone in this setting, this character type with, oh, this is a neat little visual design element. Let's just throw that in there. So everything is just a cauldron of stew of just a dozen different things like influences big and small. That's that's really awesome. Uh, you wrote The Shaman and Heavenly Blues. Can you talk a little bit about Shaman and specifically what inspired that book? First of all, I love the fact that you named it Shaman. That in and of itself is such a sort of charged word and there's a lot that goes into that idea. So why did you name it that? What's the book about? Tell people what what they can expect from this book. So Shaman is about a magician and his teenage sorceress daughter really just going around bringing dead superheroes and supervillains back to life and ending up on crazy misadventures every time. It's an excellent elevator pitch. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of it is a lot of John Constantine type stuff um, in terms of just that kind of trickster magician character. So there's like a lot of urban fantasy. So some like China Mieville type urban fantasy influences a lot of superhero like very much superhero inspired playing on tropes um all the heroes are kind of vague analogs for dc or marvel characters um playing a kind of you know the entire nature of resurrection in a superhero universe and it's all about looking at it from a different angle with like putting a human face on it so it's you've got kind of classic, like, trickster stories, detective stories, some, like, zombie influences. I get to bring in, like, a base, a major league baseball rivalry that, like, inspires an entire issue. Um, you know, the sense of kind of, like, also kind of, like, like Peter David, like, X Factor, where they're just, like, at a bar for an entire issue. And I liked, like, that kind of downturn. That's where you get an entire issue that's just a neighborhood barbecue. So lots of so, I'd say there you have, um, and again the whole comedic tone. That's a lot of a, uh, you know, at the time I was working on that. So you had a kind of Venture Brothers, Archer, um, a very kind of John Stewart Daily Show way of trying to structure the dialogue and get it like, perfect. So, I, I think it's a lot of the like the kind of the pitch I usually give is something like, oh, it's John Constantine meets uh, Venture Brothers, but with every issue of everything, there's so many different influences and visual motifs big and small that go into it you mentioned video games and i'm really curious as to uh what what video games influence your work and sort of how those influences express themselves within the work all sorts of things are like you know i think about with heavenly blues all the different versions of the afterlife that kind of came together and made it and you know all the trips down devil may cry and like god of war so you know, oh, you play man. you play like some of the more mythology driven games, and it starts getting you thinking of like, oh, how do how would these mythologies fit together in their historical context? And then that starts to become the kind of multi era patchwork of hell that you get in Heavenly Blues. That's that's incredible. Uh, it, both both books really sound like you're you've given yourself the space to play with so many different elements. And it just sounds like you're free. Like you're not you're not limited to telling this is a simple superhero story about X, Y, and Z. 
you have the capacity to sort of go wherever you want and say whatever you want. And I think that as a creator, that's got to be the the most amazing thing, right? Comics, they're the medium of the impossible. Uh, yeah. There's nothing you can't do in the medium. I mean, it takes Hollywood $200 million to do what Jack Kirby was doing in his basement 50 years ago. I never like try to think to myself like, ooh, could this be like turned into a TV show? Is this like low budget enough? It's you have an almost infinite canvas do anything you can imagine with it. As for like any setting, any kind of character type, any kind of crazy creature, any kind of action, like there's nothing holding you back, which is very easy for me to say as a writer. Like my, the artists I work with are probably just shaking their head going like, yeah, easy for you to say. You just write like big action scene happens. I got to draw it. So um, actually speaking of the, uh, the artist Bruno Hidalgo, you've worked with him across both of these books. How has uh, how has that sort of creative process grown as you guys have gone from The Shaman and into Heavenly Blues? No, that's a great question. And Bruno and I, over the course of the books, our relationship did become much closer. Um, it did become a much more uh, more collaborative working process. Um, part of that was getting to know each other. And also part of that was uh, the language barrier just becoming less of an issue. Uh, when we started Shaman... His English was at a point where we could do emails and his girlfriend would have to translate them for him and then like translate the responses back. And then over the course of the years we've been working together, um, his English has improved to the point where we can now like be instant messaging each other like on a very frequent basis. So just so just from like a raw, like is it possible to communicate at this level? Like the amount of communication that's just been physically possible has really increased, um, especially going from Shaman to Heavenly Blues. Yeah, uh, and the uh, I feel like his his designs have grown a lot. Um, like with Shaman, um, with like in Shaman having Shaman himself, LL and and Zach, like those were sort of his. Uh, he 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 was grabbing his form, and he was still like kind of. Uh, I like his style because of his sketchiness. You know, it has a very loose feel to it. And going from that in Shaman to Heavenly Blues, where he's has like t- some tighter lines and he has um, his inks are a lot deeper. How has it been for you to work with an artist who has grown that much? And how how do you sort of use his like newfound strengths and uh, to your advantage? Especially, I think with Heavenly Blues, I think the thing that we kind of improved for each other was especially uh, doing action scenes. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, like, I think he just got so good at, like, really with his action, what I think he's so amazing at is showing impact. Like, of every punch and kick, like, you feel it, like, the way, like, the flesh almost just, like, ripples at the impact. And so, with every fight scene that he did just knock out the park, that just gave me the encouragement to just go bigger and more with the action until you get up to issue six, which is just pretty much just a nonstop action extravaganza, which... Again, that just comes from like I have an artist that I have the I have a creative partner that I have the utmost faith will turn all of these pages and just turn them into something that you can feel and hear and see and just make it feel real. Um, so no, it's been amazing watching him grow and just knowing that anything I throw at him, he'll find a way to just absolutely crush. That's awesome. And that new series is being published through Scout Comics. So what is that space been like going from like self-published to scout and having it published through there 
Oh, it was fan- it was great. Um, I mean, I love having Scout. Um, you know, the last issue came out in May, uh, so we finished up uh, the six issue run, which it was always intended to be. The story was always just like was always meant to be six issues, no more, no less. Um, so we've got the trade coming out in the winter, uh, but it was great. It was awesome, like have actually having like the single issues out in stores, um, all the different solicits, getting to see the covers out there. And really, especially getting to see people really kind of enjoy it as they went on and seeing like them like ask the questions and have ideas and theories and then seeing those answered and resolved and seeing people's excitement about where it's going to go, um, leading all up to the big finale. So, no, it was a really great and exciting experience. I loved uh, working with Scout on the book. Like I said, we still have the trade coming out, so keep an eye out for that in the winter. Um, I, I did just have one uh, more question before we get too more uh, too far away from it. But um, you mentioned the uh, the language barrier being an issue at first, and I, I've always found that to be really interesting. Like, did you ever have something you wrote in your script, like an idiom or something that you had to like try to find a way to explain because of that language barrier? Or absolutely no, that language barrier absolutely <laughs> affected how I wrote. You know, obviously not the dialogue, but the pan, but absolutely impacted how I did the panel descriptions. Um, sure, especially because yeah. like when you're writing comic book script, you're really only writing it for one person. That's for an audience of one and they're the only one who need who needs to understand it. So my scripts, it says we're like they're not flashy, they're not like very like try to again, I don't have like idioms in them. I don't try to put like poetry or like too much imagery like um, in order to make the communication as clear as possible like it has to be right. simple clear and with just very simple plain instructions just very accurately describing what i would like to see included in the panel have you found that to be like um like has that been like a, a fun creative challenge for you or, or has it ever been like limiting like has there ever been a time where you've really struggled to be able to kind of like communicate something specific in that way you know, no, because it's less, um, cause idioms and stuff like that, what's the hardest thing to usually describe is when I have, um, something that really isn't any language for, like, uh-huh. where it's like, I'm trying to describe like, like this, like if mm-hmm. I want to do like this gesture, sure. like how do like, how do you, how do you describe that gesture? Even so, like, so that's where kind of like reference images become very helpful. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, that's so there's a lot of like, help, refer- yeah. yeah. Isn't there also like sometimes the cultural difference because it's like the, like a concept like baseball is like so familiar to yes, Americans? Yes, yes, there's that. Yeah, yeah, and like a figure like you know like um like the fame level of like you know the baseball star. Yeah, we had to like, go through. Yeah, like, who is that? <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. yeah. I just I find stuff like that to be really interesting. You know, because I know that like obviously comics are such a collaborative medium. So like I can only imagine when you're you have one collaborator and you don't speak the same language like that's such a that was something we ran into in the first issue of shaman where they mentioned fenway park uh bruno drew it as an actual park (laughs) (laughs) so we had to go back and like and explain like no it's the name of like a baseball stadium and here's a and then now that's why lots of reference images are used Oh yeah, that's that's hilarious. So Ben, in your uh, on 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 Twitter, your your profile picture is you with the Infinity Gauntlet, and so I had a question for you. 
Uh, if you were to snap your fingers uh, and use the Infinity Gauntlet, what would happen? Oh, man, I thought we said we weren't getting political. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, enough said, I guess. There you go. <laughs> Uh, what about you, Kathleen? I mean, I could have the same answer as you, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, I have a question here. At, at, at some point, uh, I like to ask our guest on the show uh, very pertinent and important questions from Yahoo Answers. Uh, I'm so sorry for this. <laughs> this one comes from Robert, and uh, maybe you can help him out. Maybe you have some inside knowledge here. Uh, do you think NASA invented thunderstorms to cover up the sound of space battles? No, NASA invented <laughs> thunderstorms in order to keep us from noticing the hordes of alien observers that are looking right down on the White House, sending messages into the president's brain. Oh. oh. There you go. Aliens, is that what we're calling Putin these days? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I thought we weren't getting political. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm serving Space Force. It was right there. Protect the Space Force. <laughs> I feel like any other like period of time that would have been like funny in just an ordinary way, and now it's like, mm, now you know, there's an <laughs> elephant right there in the room that has to, you know. Now it's now it's just sad. Oh boy! All right, uh, before we before we play our our game that we love to play with all guests that we have on the show. I do want to give you guys both the opportunity to uh, plug yourselves, plug your work, let people know where they can find your stuff. So, Kathleen, why don't you take it away and just let everybody know where they can find everything you. Okay. Um, Instagram is a great place to start. I like to tell people to go to Instagram.com slash K-K-R-A-L-O-W-E-C because I did not think that choosing an easier to spell word than my name would have probably been easier on everyone. <laughs> but um, that's a good place to start. So you can see all my current stuff. And then it has a link to my Etsy store if you want to buy stuff. And I have a Patreon page, which is Patreon at and then the same word, K Kralowick. I'm also on Drunk Duck and comics fury and a lot of the other you know web comic places awesome uh and ben so you can reach me on twitter at at ben the con uh or contact me on my website at benconcomics.com uh shaman is available on amazon etsy and comiXology and heavenly blues uh if you you can order it from uh, your local store or you can get physical copies straight from uh, the Scout Comics uh, web store at scoutcomics.com. And also keep an eye out for the trade that will be solicited in the next few months. And uh, please give the Heavenly Blues trade a pre-order. Yeah, I honestly highly recommend it. Uh, both books sound really, really fantastic. They were they were fantastic. Uh, I managed to get a hand uh, at the last con, the uh, last couple of issues, and they were a wild ride. So definitely definitely get get those books awesome so uh as i mentioned we have a game that we always play with our guests uh it's called apples and origins and uh given that pete has the trademark uh why don't you take it away and explain the game and then we'll jump into it awesome uh so for this game what we like to do is we put a minute on the clock and then we kind of like round robin style go around the uh the room as it were and uh and develop an idea for a comic 
So like when it's your turn, um, you have to just name something to build on whatever the person before you said. Um, and you know, it can be kind of anything like you can, we can all work on one character. We can talk about a team of characters. We can come up with just like a world with a premise. Like it can go whatever direction we want it to go. Oh, and then, um, after that round, uh, each of us has to come up with a name for this monstrosity that we've created and then we'll vote on who had the best one, but you're not allowed to vote for yourself just to keep it fair. We got to pick an order. Well, we always let the guests go first. first. We have two guests. Right. So. Well, the guests go first, Pete. All right, fine. (laughs) You want to go first then? You want to start us off? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to start with Kathleen. We're going to go to Ben, Sean, Phil, uh, Marco, Kale, Pete. Okay. 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 Utopian society. Okay. Start the clock. One minute is on the clock. Here we go. And then the dragons became real. (laughs) (laughs) And they swept through Utopia and burned down the the main city. And now we have our main characters who live in their mom's basement. And they're black. (laughs) You stole my line. Hey, man, you didn't take it. Yeah, I I was waiting for it. Keep it it moving. Kale. The uh, the main characters who live in their mom's basement and are black are uh, they put on suits of armor and are knights who vanquish the dragons. Um, they used to be a D and D group. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, unfortunately, the dragons are a little different than in D and D. They they respawn out of thin air and can <laughs> fall in love. <laughs> All right. So let's recap. So we've got a former, uh, it's a utopian society where all of a sudden dragons that respawn out of thin air uh, arrive, burn down the main city, and the only heroes left are the local D&D group full of black nerds who live in their mom's basements. (laughs) They're the only ones who survived, and they have to go out and fight the respawning dragon hordes. (laughs) <laughs> and now uh and now and now we have to come up with a title, right? Yes, right. Yeah. Everybody has to come up with their own and then we'll vote on who's got the best one. Well, I figure since you gave us the infinite spawning stuff, I figure let's call it Dragon Spawn. Alright. <laughs> Alright, I got I got Knights of Draconis Falls. I can see the hand painted eighties cover now. There it is. There it is. <laughs> right. Neon pink. <clears throat> Mine is between Game of Thrones seasons. <laughs> Dragons, colon, attack on Brooklyn. (laughs) All right, uh, I've got Revenge of the Blurds. (laughs) That's pretty good. All right, mine's going to be Love and Scales. I'm kind of surprised no one said attack on the block, too. Attack on the block, too? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you should have used it. I like Love and Scales better than mine. Mine is Dragon Mia Moore. Recap? Uh, yeah, so everybody, we'll, we'll go through the same order we just did. Everybody will say their title one more time, and then we'll cast our votes. I'm going to go I'm gonna go with my second one of Attack on the Block, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mine was Dragon's Attack on Brooklyn. I did Between Game of Thrones seasons. Uh, I did Knights of Draconis Falls. I had Revenge of or Revenge of the Blurs, and uh, mine was Love and Scales. I'm doing Revenge of the Blurries, man. That's mine that's too. Honestly, yes. I'm voting Revenge of the Blurs. Wow. And that's it. It wins for All the right. first time. I think <laughs> ever. Sean has won at this that's, game. No, no, that's my second victory. 
All right, man. Well, that was deserved. a really great round. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, that was a great round. Uh, unfortunately, I do have the sad duty to tell you guys you are now in the loser's bracket of Apples <laughs> and Origins. Uh, but don't worry. that You're in great company. There are some really awesome people who have lost this game. Uh, I believe, didn't Ryan O'Sullivan lose? He did. He I, lost. No, um, he he won. He was the superior. He was the superior. Ryan. Ryan. Oh, Katie, right. I Ryan. Lost. Katie lost. Right. Ryan. Katie. I was take a that, Ryan. Loser. Katie. There you go. <laughs> Talk smack. We like that. Yeah, let him know. <laughs> Dirk. I'm Dirk. talking so much smack right now, Ryan. <laughs> Dirk Manning uh, was also a loser. Uh, so you, you guys are in great company. Uh, hopefully, we can have that that losers bracket round. So you guys will get a second chance to emerge victorious. Uh, attack the block too. That was a really good one. That could have won. So next time you bring that same creative fire, and you might just be victors like me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> attack the block three. <laughs> just keep trying. <laughs> just, just regardless of what the topic of the book is, attack the block three. All right. <laughs> It's about a sad man and his dog. Attack the block four. Let's go. Yep. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so I want to ask you guys, normally we would do Pals Polls right now. Pals Polls is a segment where we just kind of talk about the books that are coming out this upcoming week that we're really excited about. But since you guys are here, I'd love to ask you guys, what books are you reading right now? Um, what books are you sort of excited about? What are you into at the moment? So a book that uh, that just wrapped up, uh, last issue just came out this week, was uh, Ed Brubaker's Killer Be Killed. Yes. 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 Wait, wait. No, no spoilers. I haven't read it yet. Uh, Death or Glory is looking like it's going to like really fill that like crime book hole in my heart, though. Oh, you're speaking my language, Ben. Keep talking. Bring it uh, Deadly Class. Oh, to somehow God, keep yes. getting better every arc. Well, I got Descender is going into some really like crazy interesting places, and I'm reading more Marvel than I have in a while. Like I'm really enjoying uh, Venom. Like Donny Cates, ah. like it's given the character like a real nice kind of like larger than like mythological bend, which I'm liking. And then I'm a huge Justice League fan. Uh, kind of going back to the cartoon. So uh, what Scott Snyder's doing with the Justice League is like introducing the Legion of Doom. I'm really, that's looking like a book that's just going to like make my inner superhero geek very happy. Ben, do you want to hang out sometime? I feel like we've got a lot of things in common. Like, <laughs> yeah, let's grab lunch. Ben, ben just rolled a nat 20 on getting Sean's pants off. <laughs> that's right. Oh, man. Rick, Rick Remender, Scott Snyder, that's uh, Donnie Case, that's everything that I love. So, yeah. Hey, uh, everyone else on the show, do you guys want to leave so Sean and Ben can just kind of bond for the next hour? Sean's, <laughs> Sean's super into the names of 40-year-old white men. <laughs> that's right. Listen. You guys, you've done enough. You can we can call the show early. Ben and I can grab, grab a beer. We're good. <laughs> but be- beer, there you go. Beer, a romantic candlelight dinner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but no, what about you, Kathleen? What books are you into right now? Let's see. I'm I'm following Sword of Ages, which is a totally gorgeous um, book. I think Gabriel, image- Rodriguez, Gabriel Rodriguez, right? Uh, I think I would have to look. I would have to look again. There's also Highest House. Same artist who did um, Lock and Key. Oh. 
yeah, that's Gabriel Rodriguez. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, what else am I? What else? What else am I kind of following? I'm kind of following Coda. Um, another image thing. It's gorgeous. The colors are are like mm-hmm. awesome. Um, those are like the current ones. I was recently keeping up with Twisted Romance that concluded, I think. Um, and uh, yes, I I, don't, I didn't get much recognition, so I figure these are kind of esoteric things. Well, um, I as we've established on this show, uh, I have more, shall we say, mainstream tastes. Uh, <laughs> I got a lot of flack for being the Marvel sort and DC, you know, fanboy. No, fanboy. we like so much good stuff. Thank you. Exactly. And listen, I I know you Gabriel Rodriguez. I know Gabriel Rodriguez, but I'm married, so. Oh, Oblivion Song. Oh, yes. There you go. <laughs> yes. Also one called, what, Versus? Oh, Versus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Kathleen, do you want to get a beer? Get a beer? <laughs> sure. Let's, all, let's just <laughs> all drink right, beers. Right, right. <laughs> hey, uh, half the people, over half the people on this show right now are in New York, so theoretically that's possible. Um but uh, whatever, let's, I'll let's... go meet Phil in Philadelphia, and we'll get a beer. <laughs> you do that. I'll meet Kale, and uh, hmm. I'm I'm going to bed. So, <laughs> <laughs> so so let's get through the rest of our pals pulls uh, real fast. Marco, you chose Giant Days number forty. Yeah. Uh, so I finally got, I, I finally caught up to the series, and I'm getting it on a monthly basis now. And like reading that has been kind of different just because of how I've been used to it in trade. So yeah, I imagine that would be a weird book to read month to month. It's, I, I don't know. It's just the pacing seems a little bit more odd to me because it is pretty, it is pretty quick and like a lot of stuff happens. Um, so I don't know. I might just like start trade waiting on that one. Cause it's been a little, uh, I would have been thought, different. I would have thought that would make it slower because the well, trades like, go like, so quick. Well, like the individual issues kind of, they sort of feel a little bit more uh, just condensed, I guess. It, it doesn't play into the overall narrative, so it feels that much quicker because it's just like a short bite and it's uh, there's more to it that needs to happen, basically. It's a short bite of a short bite. Exactly. It's a fun size, fun size. <laughs> uh, so Phil, uh, another man after my heart, you chose... Uh, Batman by Grant Morrison, Omnibus number one. Listen, folks, this is Ben's this great is, choice. Yes, this is the that's right, Ben. This is the big end. This is uh the first volume of Grant Morrison's six-year excellent run on Batman, um, and a lot of those early stories from two thousand six, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. I haven't read since its original publishing. I You're gonna have a blast. I'm so pumped to read this book. You have no idea. Because this book, as you can find out in our Batman episode we did early on in our Comics Pals career, encapsulates everything in Batman's history from the very beginning to the very end, from the most plain and simple to the most esoteric. This is perhaps the definitive run on Batman. I'm so excited to buy this on Omnibus. I am an Omnibus collector, and 
I could not be more pumped. Yeah, uh, I'm going to buy this too. I have every issue. I try to read this run like every couple years if I can. And uh, this is this is incredible. I'm so glad they're finally doing this. Took them forever, DC, but they're doing it. Yeah, seriously, um, it took them forever. <laughs> uh, so for me, I chose Batman number 50. Uh, this is the big one, the big wedding issue. Uh, I'm not a fan of weddings necessarily. However, uh, it's Batman and Catwoman. The Bat and the Cat uh, getting hitched. And of course, as all comic book weddings do, it will go off swimmingly. There will be no problems at all. The Joker definitely won't make an appearance. And they'll live happily ever after, right? Yes. What if that was true? Can you do? Do you think you can do that in 2018? No. Yeah, I I imagine when the uh, the person giving Bat, uh, Catwoman and Batman away when they say, uh, "Does anyone have any objections?" The Joker is gonna be the one to object. Listen, if anyone's gonna marry the Batman, it's me. Yeah, I mean you you saw Lego Batman, didn't you? Yeah. They're totally in love. Which which Joker though is the real question? Oh. Zach Galifianakis. Jared Leto. Okay, thank you. Hmm. Uh. And then I also chose Captain America number one this is the beginning of Ta-Nehisi Coates' run on oh, nice. this book with uh, Lionel Francis Yu. This, this is going to be epic. I am beyond excited to have Coates on this book right now in this time. Uh, I can't think of anything better. So uh, I, I'm, I'm ready for this. I've been ready since it was first announced. I can't wait to see what he does. He's had about two or three years of of, of time on Black Panther to re- actually, yeah, like like three years to really sort of uh, build his writing chops. And I think now he should be ready to take on a book of this magnitude and be able to express his ideas in a way that will come across well in this medium. Uh, I am I am so happy that this is happening. So uh, I'll be sure to let you guys know what I think about it uh, next week on the show. I was going to say, maybe uh, maybe we should do a review. Maybe we should. I, I, yes. I want to read that one, too. I mean, after reading uh, his Black Panther, um, the first two volumes anyway, um, which you can go check out our book club about. Um, yeah, I'm very interested to see what he does with uh, with Captain America. Cool. Well, if, uh, if I can f- uh, get Kale and Phil to read the book, too, then that's five. <laughs> yeah, I'll do uh, it. Yay, Kale. Uh, I mean, I'll do it, but I'm not going to be here next week. So. <laughs> oh. All right, well. Uh, While the uh, Kale's away, the boys will play. Well, Kale, you can send your thoughts about the book to us by writing in. Uh, and you can do so in many different ways. Uh, you can catch us on Apple Podcasts and all other podcasting, podcast hosting services. We are a five-star rated podcast. Continue that trend by heading over there and dropping that five-star rating. Uh, we are also at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And last, but of course not least, we are on YouTube, where if you are watching this on YouTube, you can drop us a like, leave us a comment, share this video with your friends, and of course, subscribe to our channel if you haven't done so already. It's free to do, and it helps us out a lot more than it costs you, so hit that subscribe button. If you're not a YouTube user and you're just listening to us on podcasts, that's okay, but you can do us a favor and head over there and subscribe anyway. Also, if you are a subscriber, make sure you click that notification bell so that you get an alert when we actually upload our videos, um, because YouTube has been on fire lately. 
I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to do any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> Take a hike. I'm trying. That's where I'm going. Oh. All right, so we're about to do the news, but uh, Ben and Kathleen are going to they're gonna jump off. As they mentioned, they do have that protest to go to, so uh, <laughs> I hope it goes well for you, and, uh, and uh, thank you so, so, so much for joining us. Uh, ben, I will reach out to you privately for that beer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, we're both in New York. Let's do it. Just, yes. just exchange phone numbers and addresses on the show. <laughs> Let me give you my credit card number while I'm at it too. Can you write down my social, social security, security too? Yeah. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, thank you both so much. Uh, you're amazing creators. We've built a relationship over the last few years, seeing you guys at different conventions, and I I'm so excited to see what you both do uh, in the future. And and hopefully you guys can come back on again, and we can do this more because this was a blast. We'd love that. Thank you yeah. so much for having us on. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you. Oh, thank you. All right. Have a see great you, rest you. of the we'll day, you guys. You guys. Enjoy the protest. Don't die. All right. So uh, that was an awesome interview. Um, but we are going to do our Man of Steel review before we jump into the news. Uh, let's not belabor this too long. Let's just give our, our hottest of takes and carry on because we've got a lot to talk about. So, Phil, as a resident superhero boy or Superman boy, why don't you uh, take it away? As the resident uh, Superman shut up for a second, boy. Phil. Sorry, sorry. So, listeners, um, I failed you. I, <laughs> uh, I, it was a misstep. And hey, hey and, listen, we're trying not to belabor it. Could you hurry the fuck oh, up? Sorry, you didn't read it. We on? know. <laughs> Continue, Phil. Uh, Marco didn't read the book. Marco Shame. Sucks. Marco Carry broke on. his contract, so now uh, the league has to decide what they're gonna, what we're gonna do with him moving forward. Uh, dead. <laughs> oh, all right. All right. Sean, oh, that was the hesitation. Can you, uh, can you, can you explain that? Yeah, you didn't read the book. Yeah. So now we're killing you, apparently. <laughs> yeah. That or the Phantom right. Zone. Um, which boy? Me boy? That boy? <laughs> I know that was last week, but I wasn't here. And man, this book is like an anchor, okay? The further down it goes, the faster it falls. I don't think that's how physics works. But um, this uh, wasn't very good. And this is like the things we praised the first couple issues for, like the voice and the tone, I feel like is gone. And now it's tone deaf and it's all bendicisms in the worst ways. You go on Twitter or any other social media platform and you just read the dialogue for each issue and it's nothing but shit posting Bendis speak because that's where we are now in issue five. Um, it's bad now. It's just, it's just not good. Notably Barry Allen saying caca poo poo. Yeah. Twice. That was twice. Unbelievable. I, yeah, and I talked, I talked last week about how just dumb he makes Green Lantern, and he just like, he doubled down on, oh, Green, Green Lantern, he's like a cop, right? No, he, I mean, he's like a cop, yeah, but he's not, he, he's not, he's Green not Lantern's a cop. Green Lantern's a fucking cop, guys. Bendis made it happen. That's like the lazy Green Lantern writing approach. Other people that have Green Lantern cameo in the book, in their books do that kind of like lazy, dumb cop jock kind of thing with Hal Jordan yeah. uh, which is which is why so many people have like a pretty negative perception of Hal Jordan I think is because of his cameos and other books because people just don't give a fuck on how they portray him um, 
Yeah, he it's it's just like full on everyone had the same voice in this book pretty much. Yeah, I uh that I remember the the scene where it's like all of the Justice League members talking and it just doesn't it doesn't really feel like any of them has a unique voice. Um and, and I I just uh yeah, I don't know, man. Um I feel like this book has taken a really hard nosedive. Um and all the optimism that I felt about it like for issue 1 and and parts of 2 um, it's, it's just gotten progressively worse, right? Like I remember in issue three, it was like, we were starting to complain about these things and like, they've only gotten, you know, um, more obvious and like, there's only been worse moments, you know, where like, oh, there was like one bendicism in the first, you know, like in issue three that kind of threw us off. Now it's like the whole issue felt that way. Um, and it just like. I'm still not interested in fucking Rachel Ragu and, you know, like, <laughs> I, I just, <laughs> fucking, I'm, Excellent I'm, work, <laughs> detective. Now here's your sauce. <laughs> it, Phil, we were talking about, <clears throat> before the, the show started, about how the people in the fire department sounded like uh, John Mulaney's yeah. fake people speak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, I can totally hear that. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It's it's like <laughs> it's it's like people in a work environment not having real conversations. It's like parodies of a real conversation. Yeah, I I think uh, I think that this is as far off the rails as this book has been yet. And what scares me is that I've seen Bendis do worse than this. Um, and I, I listen. I have been the Bendis apologist on this show. One thousand percent, I have been. Uh, this is not defendable. It's not. Uh, there, there is nothing redeemable to me in this issue. There's nothing that I was able to grasp onto and go, "Oh, all right, well, that's something." Uh, there just was nothing. The subplot regarding um, Jorel is. Silly. I don't understand why. I, yeah, I don't. I don't get why John would want to go. The dialogue in that in that sequence is really bad. Well, um, and not only is it really bad, it's been reoccurring. Like in every like we've heard this same fucking thing so many times, and it's just like, and it's not even like a good or resonant line. It's just, and like then even the new dialogue gets repeated. You know, like in flashbacks while he's with um, Kara, you know, it's just like, come on. Like, I fucking get it. Well, it's the worst. Like, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. And this moment has been repeated over five yeah. issues. Like, let's fucking go. God. It, 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 that, that, that specific part of the book felt more like, well, this is where I want things to go rather than this is the natural way things are going to go. It's just like. He has a linear direction he wants the book to go in, and it doesn't matter if it makes sense or how it fits together. It's also it's also not it's not compelling, on it, to be honest. Yeah. It's, it's just not. I don't find this interesting. I think if if you had built, if if this were happening like six months or a year into Bendis's run, maybe there would be something there because then we'd have more relate of a relationship with John. Maybe we would understand more why he would make this choice. But based on what we've seen in these issues, I don't get it. I, I don't understand it. I don't care to understand it. 
Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know. This isn't interesting. And then I, I gotta be honest. I wasn't a fan of the art either. Um, I, I was gonna ask. Yeah, how, how do you feel about it compared to uh, Kevin McGuire last week? Well, I, I think, oh, man, I, I think I might like it more than McGuire. There was yeah, some weird stuff there. Uh, this issue, there are some, there are some good moments. I like the way the sequence in the um, in the fire department looks. That was fine. Yeah, who did the um, art on those pages? That's Hughes. That's Adam the, Hughes. The, yeah, yeah. The pieces where it's in Superman's house. That's Jason Fabok. Um, uh, but the other stuff is Hughes, and there are some panels here that are just weird. Uh, there's a panel with Cyborg. Um, oh God! His, yeah, he just looks like naked. His neck just looks broken. It's it's odd. Um, a circle with a thing in it is his line. That's a very cyborg thing to say. What is cyborg? Stupid. Cyborg's a genius. He's he's the he is the genius on the team. He's a fucking computer. Like <laughs> right. And then there was one panel that really stuck out to me that I wanna I wanna highlight here. So it's um Supergirl is say she's saying he he said he destroyed Krypton. He came here and oh god, right? And then Wonder Woman says, focus your rage, Kara. Save it for he who earned it. And there's nothing about the way Supergirl looks that gives me the impression that she's even mad. She looks scared. So why is Wonder Woman saying that? Like, what happened? What was the miscommunication? The, this book is just disjointed. And Bendis is like, why? I'm regretting that, that he's here now. Why is he in DC? At least in Marvel, he was writing The Defenders, which no one cared about. Now he's writing Superman. And you have to read this if you care about DC. And it's going to be bad. It's bad. Guys, I'm sorry that I was right. (laughs) I mean that for real, though. I actually am. I was going to ask, what do you think this is going to do for... like DC's been making all the right moves. What does this look like for their streak? I bet people are going to buy it it anyway. People like Bendis. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, yeah, because because I, I think to Sean's point, right? Like, Bendis is a polarizing figure. You either really like Bendis and you'll buy this book, or you don't like Bendis and you'll buy it so that you can shit post about it. You know, I'm gonna buy it. Right. I'm gonna buy every issue, and I hate it. So we're jumping off after the next one, folks. Yeah, I'm done after that. As a show, we yeah, are. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna keep buying it. Like um, if if it if you tell me that it picks up, I'll give it another shot. But like, yeah, I'm out after this. Yeah, I w- I would say you know maybe here after a year when he's finally got some, uh, you know I'll 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 give him that you know okay this it's the p- first real six issues that he's been at DC. He's probably still kind of looking for footing, you know. At this point, I'll give him that. Uh, maybe I'll come back in a year, but. Uh, yeah, right now I'm I'm out. It, it, it was acceptable when it was Iron Man and Doctor Strange and you know Spider Man characters who all right I could see them being this way. Well, and also well, he established that you know he right, was the one who right. who made that foundation for those characters and then built on it for 15 years. Exactly, but when it's when it's Batman and 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 Flash, no man like. <laughs> Don't do this to these characters. You don't you don't have the clout to do this to these characters. 
It's all he knows how to do anymore. Yeah. All right. That was depressing. (laughs) Uh, So let's jump into something that's more fun. Uh, So uh, we now know the name of the next Spider-Man movie. Uh, It is not going to be called Spider-Man Homecoming 2. Instead, instead it is called Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, Tom Holland revealed this on his Instagram page as a leak. If you're still buying the idea that Tom Holland is is casually leaking everything. Um, Wait, he's not? We also know know, uh, that Jake Gyllenhaal is going to play Mysterio. It is confirmed. Yeah. Um, normally, yeah. <laughs> normally, we wouldn't talk about just the announcement of a name of a movie. That's kind of lame. Uh, what what interests me about this and the reason why we're talking about it is because Far From Home, in conjunction with what's going on in Infinity War, uh, leads me to ask, is this going to be... Is there a chance that maybe this movie takes place outside of you know Earth? Um, is it just going to be Spider-Man kind of gallivanting around the world? We know that at some point he'll be in London. Uh, is there a chance that this movie maybe introduces the symbiote? Uh, there's a lot of ways they can go. So I'm just curious, do you guys have any thoughts about that? Or do you think it's just going to be Earth-based, but with Spider-Man kind of being not based in New York this time around? Love the idea of space Spider-Man. That's fun. It's neat. Also, the first movie, the best thing about it was the villain, uh, Michael Keaton is uh, working class hero Vulture. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio is like, sounds like another home run to me. Um, obviously, we're going to see Captain Universe in this movie <laughs> when Spider-Man donned that costume. Right. I don't think so. Sure. Huh? I don't, <laughs> 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 I saw I saw a fan art of that uh, poster. Uh, the poster, yeah, that yeah, where the symbiote's hot. crawling up on him, and I, yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. Um, it's, the one, it's the one where he's on the alien planet, right? And then, like, the yeah, he's on a planet, yeah. I guess he's not on ours, so yeah. <laughs> that was some Bendis speak right there. <laughs> An alien Listen, planet, you, yeah, a planet, not you Earth. know the one that's not ours. <laughs> Listen, you read the guy for twenty years, you pick up a thing or two. <laughs> Uh, the the only thing I don't necessi- immediately like about that is Mysterio as the villain. Really? How um, come? Well, not that I don't like about it. Not that I don't like that. I'm all about Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio. I'm all about Mysterio being being the villain. I don't like that connection. Um, because I would I would much rather see a movie of Spider Man in space with the symbiote. Oh, okay. You know, Secret War style doing whatever the fuck that book is about and and then coming down and then having the Venom movie or Spider-Man 3. Oops, I came home with a alien suit. What if this movie is both? What if this movie starts kinda, with him? Kind of jam-packed for my taste, but it could work. Because we don't know how Infinity War or, I'm sorry, Avengers 4 ends. What if this movie because spider-man homecoming starts in the past right it's a it's, it starts with a, a 10 minute sequence of him before everything what if this movie starts with a sequence of him still on an alien planet 
kind of maybe interacting with the symbiote somehow and then coming yeah, back totally. to Earth and, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of ways it can go. Now, this is what's really going to happen here. This is going to be uh, like a who shot JR moment from Dallas where it turns out Thanos did not destroy half the universe, but it was all a grand illusion a by dream. Mysterio. And he's not really <laughs> on an alien planet. Wow. So, um, I, I think... Uh, Based on on this stuff that we do know about the film, it leads me to believe that it probably won't be in space as much as I'd like to see that. Um, the whole that there is a London angle um, and that Mysterio is the villain like leads me to believe we are very much going to be on Earth. And if it is like um, I even wonder if we will actually be outside of New York, like maybe some of the things that Spider-Man is seeing and doing are just Mysterio's illusions or something or, or you know, like who knows? Um that being said, like, I'm I'm honestly game for any of those things. Uh, I think the idea of, like, Peter in a, like, he's stuck on an alien planet and he's got to find his way back to Earth, that could be a really compelling movie. Um, I think the problem there is just, like, Spider-Man's a character that benefits from having people to bounce off of, too. So, like, you know, him waking up on a planet by himself and trying to build a ship or whatever might not be the most interesting thing <laughs> for a whole movie. Uh but I, I think, like, Mysterio is such a fun villain in my mind because he's so psychological, you know, and that, like, he he's a guy who's all about, like, you know, um, if not outsmarting, like, trying to outfox Peter and the fact that, like, they, you know, um, kind of match each other in that way. I'm way more excited by the prospect of that sort of villain than another person who's just, like... Like, uh, Michael Keaton's Vulture was, like, mostly just physically intimidating, right? Like, he could fly and, like, could have probably killed Peter. And, like, that's what made him intimidating, right? And that he had a personal connection to him, right? But the idea of Mysterio, like, really throwing him through the ringer um, mentally and, and having to see him think his way out of more situations is something I'm really excited to see. We've not seen that before. Not significantly, anyway. I was just going to say, like, there there were, like, they kind of flirted with that a little bit in Homecoming. But it was not, like, I don't feel like we really got a good, like, moment of him, like, being in a scenario where someone's totally overpowering him and he's able to win because he's just smarter. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, Spider-Man and, and Batman, for that matter, both have villains that are not physically threatening. And... Oh, oh, that's what you meant. I'm sorry. Yeah, like, we've never really seen a movie... Where the main villain was not a was not a threat physically to to the hero, and I think that this that could be really interesting because a big part of Spider Man is his intellect, and I want to see him forced to use that to beat someone, um, and I think this will have to be that. Sure, yeah, and I think especially like him being the age that he's at, that makes that a super exciting prospect as well. You know, like him going toe-to-toe with, like, an adult genius. So, we've got some more Spider-Man news. Uh, this of the variety that I'm not so sure that Pete will like, so, you know. I Yeah, uh, I can't believe you didn't lead with that. <laughs> in connect- like, we were talking about our transitions just a second ago, and you really you really bungled this one. Is <laughs> he bungled? The day that I take hosting advice from you. Oh, shit. Is the same day that I'm going to join the Space Force, which is right <laughs> around February. So, Space Force. I'm leaving tomorrow. Uh, 
According to the same planet as planet Parker. on a space plane. What? So we now know, we talked about the Morbius movie, and uh, this movie went from being kind of a thing that maybe was going to happen to Jared Leto starring in it uh, and Daniel Espinosa directing it. Uh, Jared Leto, known for being the Joker. Damaged. Uh, <laughs> no, for being damaged, <laughs> uh, is now going to be playing Morbius in the Sony uh, Spider-Man offshoot universe. Uh, there's not a lot more to go off of. Uh, we already talked about the fact that this movie is coming out and that they want to make this film. Daniel Espinosa is a Scandinavian filmmaker who made uh, Life. The sci-fi thriller that everybody thought was a prequel to Venom. Uh, So maybe there's something going on there. But, uh, yeah. What do you guys think about Jared Leto as Morbius? Can he play two lunatics at once? (laughs) Yeah, right? Get, like, his co-stars better get ready for, like, guana bombs or something. He's gonna start biting their necks! Oh, 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 gross, dude. He's so crazy! Do you... Do you guys remember way back in the 90s when Angelina Jolie and Billy Bob Thornton were together? No. And they, like, they wore um, vials of each other's bloods around their neck. What? what? That is a yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. I don't have any connection to that story. It's slightly vampiric, but it just seems like a, a method actor-y bullshit thing oh, here that we go. Jared Leto would try. <laughs> <laughs> Kale's Vendetta against Method Actor strikes again. Listen, uh, <laughs> mail and pitch to people to fucking prove me wrong. Yeah, I um, I, I don't know, man. Like, I have mixed feelings on this one. Uh, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of Jared Leto. Uh, but you are the biggest fan of Sony. Well, <laughs> uh, yes, but not their not their Spider-Man pictures. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, like. I think we talked about this when when the news about this first came up that I I feel like this one project makes more sense than some of the other ones that they had proposed. I'd way rather see a, a Mobius solo film than Venom or um, Silver and Black or uh, what was the other one that they said Craven like any of those right like I think this is the one that probably has the most potential to work because he doesn't really need Spider Man for his shtick to be a thing. Um, so it's like, as much as I'd rather see this, you know, in the context of an MCU movie, um, it could be okay. But it's just like, I don't know. Like, I don't really need or want this movie. And again, I'm I'm not really a Jared Leto fan. So, eh. I feel like this is the direction they're going with, like DC is going to, where they're kind of just like throwing stuff and they got actors attached to it and then directors attached to it. And yeah. it's like all a cool thing, but there's no semblance of direction and ideas well a morbius movie uh in a lot of ways writes itself uh i think there are certain pieces to it that are very obvious and that are easy to do uh the problem in my mind just comes in where you have to figure out like okay who's the antagonist you know uh how do you build this into a movie that works within a three-act structure you know a movie that has a satisfying conclusion there's a lot of problems that come in once you get past the initial idea of what it is, that's where Spider-Man comes in, right? And that's not going to happen in this movie. So it'll be really interesting to see how they f- fix that problem. Um, 
because he he's you know whether you whether you like it or not he was conceived as a Spider-Man uh, antagonist and so his character goes with that and if you remove that from the equation now the writers have to be slick enough to figure out how to tell his story without that critical element I think it can be done but uh, as far as Jared Leto goes uh, I have no problems with him as an actor. Uh, I think he's fine. I don't think he was the reason that Suicide Squad's Joker didn't work. I think if he had been given better material, it would have been better. Uh, so, with a more he was phenomenal in Dallas Buyers Club, Mister Nobody. He's been great in a lot of movies. It's just that he's a little bit of a meme now. Yeah, uh, I, I think if you give him a more down to earth character, uh, Morbius is a little weird, obviously, but uh, he's not always that way. He doesn't start that way. I think Jared Leto can bring a lot of humanity to the character, um, and he also looks the part. Weirdly enough, I think he's yeah. kind of strange looking, so uh, it works out. And I, I think it'll be good. I, like his part will be good. I, I that's why I thought Tommy Wiseau should have played. Morbius. No, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I definitely agree with that, Sean. I'll, I will give you he has the look. He certainly like I think could pull off the like you know. Like sexy Dracula vibe, like yeah, I feel like he could he could pull that off. Sexy boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so we've talked about the DC streaming service a few times over the last few weeks. So I I really don't want to uh, spend too much time on this subject. But a couple weeks ago we talked about uh. A, a, Someone who works for DC, a community manager who went on a podcast and talked about what the DC universe was going to be. Uh, and Kale specifically called into question her credibility. And now we know that everything she said was correct uh, because uh, we've got a big announcement coming from DC Entertainment. They pulled back the curtain on what the DC universe is. And now I'm going to go over some of those things we know about the shows, uh, Titans, Doom Patrol. Harley Quinn, um, the Young Justice show, but now something. we also know. Sorry, something. What's that? Something. What? Something. Do you have a cold? What are you saying? Gesundheit, Marco. So, no, cover your God mouth. Damn it! Here, are you okay? It. I have one. It's covered in menthol. It'll help you breathe. Take it. Whoa, menthol. Yeah, um, breathe. <laughs> oh, okay. that gave me a different vibe. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Here, take this, <laughs> take this fucking handkerchief. It'll help you breathe. Breathe into this, in Marco. Menthol. Take a deep breathe breath. Deep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen. We all want him to stop talking about that. So, and so, what else are you gonna do at this point? It's been eighty-eight episodes. <laughs> all right. I got it. We kill the Marco. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the chopping block. You, you guys want to see a Marco disappear? I did say I wanted him dead. Uh, so, in addition to the original content, we're also getting thousands of comics uh, from a curated selection and uh, movies like Batman Begins and the Dark Knight, uh, the Superman movies by Richard Donner, um, and then, of course, some of the television series like Batman the Animated Series, Static Shock, Young Justice, Teen Titans, Lois and Clark, and Wonder Woman 77, uh, which will be remastered in HD for the very first time in the case of Wonder Woman and Lois and Clark. So that's pretty cool. Um, 
the the comics are going to feature like i said a curated selection that will be rotating um and they give they give different examples of what will be available uh nothing super recent uh the most recent thing that i know of was the cyborg series from 2015 uh there's new 52 stuff in there but nothing rebirth that i that part i noticed of, part of the the most recent seemed like it was the dcu stuff yeah yeah just before yeah. rebirth yeah uh, and so Dan Didio said that part of the purpose of the selection uh, was to allow users to watch exclusive video content on a big screen, so meaning the shows, followed by the comic that inspired it. Uh, and so there will be a beta that will be open in August, uh, and fans can sign up to gain access to that beta. Um, the full thing, the whole shebang, will drop this fall. Any word on price? No word on price. Not good. So these are the these are the things that are hesitations for me, and I want you guys to let me know your thoughts. Number one, uh, uh, the Young Justice and the Outsiders uh, got pushed back to 2019. That's bad. Fucking fuck! That show has uh, the worst track record. Yep. So God the damn o- it. the only new piece of content literally that this thing is launching with is titans the live action titans okay number two uh the movies that are listed are all old and not just old but really old nothing from the new uh dc film slate like batman superman wonder woman those movies are not present and i don't care what you think about those movies they should be there you should if you get a DC streaming service, you should be able to watch Wonder Woman. Uh, you know, they, they they should be present. And it's it's possible that those movies are tied up due to rights issues, but that should have been taken care of before you put out a streaming service because people want to see those movies. Yeah, like wait, right? Like wait for those contracts to expire. Right. Or if you know you're doing this years in advance, don't sign contracts for them. You can get... Batman 89 and Superman 78 for like two bucks a piece anywhere, basically. Yeah, exactly. But, but, so I, but I, I think that's probably why they didn't do do it because I, I would be willing to bet they're still pulling profits off of the DVD sales and and stuff off of those movies. That's a fair point, but to me, D, DVD and Blu-ray is a dying medium anyway. Why wouldn't you put your dying, eggs in not the- dead. Sure, but why wouldn't you f- try to put your focus onto the streaming service, which you hope is going to be a huge source of revenue for you? Don't bank on DVD. Also, to push back on that, I think if you're the kind of person who still buys DVDs or Blu-rays, you're probably going to buy them regardless of if they're available on the streaming service. You know? Yeah, but, um, but why not? Why not do both? That's that's the thing. Is you should. Like, you should still be trying to get the as many of those sales as you can, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be on your streaming service. Right. Because, like, I think a big thing, right, is, like, if you're, if you're somebody who buys DVDs and Blu-rays in 2018 and you're not an old person, like, it's probably because you like the increased quality. You know, you have, like, a nice TV, you have a nice uh, Blu-ray player or something, or, uh, or you, you know, you want to uh, play it in 4K, true 4K, and streaming, that's a bitch. Um, or you want a physical collection, or yeah. you want the extras, 
you know, and none of those things are going to be available on the streaming service. So I think to to Sean's point, like, yeah, there's unless there's a rights issue, there's no reason that you shouldn't have everything. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that I noticed is that they didn't mention Smallville. They didn't mention Smallville. They didn't mention Arrow. They didn't oh. mention any of those. And those could also be those are all WB. That's a big problem. WB, oh, but yeah, WB owns. Yeah. What the fuck? I, yeah, that I would be willing to bet they're trying – well, and Smallville, this doesn't make sense for, but Arrow, The Flash, Supergirl, they're probably still – since WB's part of – or CW's part of WB. Oh, they're all on the CW app. That must yeah, be – Yeah, well, so, so the thing is uh, the CW is owned by CBS, which is different from Time Warner, I believe. Um, oh, I, okay. I didn't I, know that. Maybe I'm wrong. I think – I think they're differentiated, and that might be why. There's absolutely a complicated rights issue reason that is precluding those shows from being here. My problem is that if I'm going to pay for a streaming service, I better be able to watch Arrow. I can watch Arrow on Netflix. So if you can't even give me that, then what am I, what am I really paying for? And then the last thing before you guys really jump in is... The comics. Now, I love the idea that they have thousands of comics on here and that they want you to watch a show, watch a movie, and then, wa- and then you know, watch, read a comic. That's a great That's idea. Awesome. The problem is that it sounds to me like this is not anything that's going to include recent books and you have very restricted access to your choice of books. They're saying it's going to be curated which means that they're choosing the content. Uh, they're also saying it's rotating, which means the content won't be there forever. So you're telling me that I have a limited amount of time to get through these books that you selected for me and none of them are recent. Even Marvel Unlimited gives you like, they're, they're six months behind, but they're six months behind. You know, And then it's this there is, forever. Right. This is not keeping up with anything current. They don't even want to. So... That really bothers me. And of course, no price. If this is priced like Netflix, this is a dud. Yeah. I, so I, I I think a lot of your concerns are are the, the same that I share, Sean. But real quick, I did just want to point out, I found out, the CW is actually a joint venture between Warner Brothers and CBS. Uh, so that's probably where those, those rights issues come in, is that those things are all CW shows, uh, and the CW app is a competitor, I guess, technically. So... Um, yeah, because C- CBS probably has stake in the CW app. Of course. And, yeah. Well, yeah, and that explains the, the seamless transition for Supergirl from CBS to right. the CW. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so that that is interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I I think I'm I'm definitely aligned with you on this one, Sean, where it just feels like this is – I think the idea that they've presented here is really smart. Um, but I don't, I don't know that I think it's going to be, uh, that the value is going to be there. You know, that like, if, if they are going to try to, um, be priced competitively with other streaming services like Netflix or Hulu, and they're looking to ask like eight to $12 a month, uh, you gotta have more for me than the Titan show, which we have no idea what the quality of that is at all. Um, and then all these old things that I can either, 
get somewhere else or like have probably experienced already. You know, they'll they'll probably offer one free month to new subscribers during WrestleMania. (laughs) You fool! You 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 are a fool. Um, So yeah, I I don't know, man. Like I I think to me, if it was just this old video content with a few original shows and a really, really good backlog of DC comics, it would be super worth it. Um, so my hope is that there's enough, um, not necessarily backlash, but that people who are interested in the service or not interested in the service are vocal enough of like, Hey, you should be trying to make this a competitor to Marvel unlimited. That also has video. Because that's something I would pay for. Or at least I think that's something that the average like DC fan would pay for. Because why wouldn't you? If it was $8 a month and you can get all all the DC comics six months, even a year behind. You know, like, fine. You know, like, that's a lot of content. And if you're a trade waiter and you're not somebody who cares about being up to date on everything, I don't think that would be a problem. And I think that could really provide a, a legitimate value uh, for people who want to get in on this ecosystem. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I think it's it's a good idea. Their heads are in the right place, but they just don't have enough there to make this a success. Um, to make it something that people are gonna clamor for. It's gonna be like, oh, neat. Uh, sure, I guess they'll get me with the what, with like the free month trial. But then, what's gonna keep me there? And I don't think that they have that. I, I think I think not having those Greg Berlanti shows is what's really gonna hurt them. Honestly, those shows have such a big cult following that if you don't if you if you don't have those, what incentive is there for people to get it? And those are the things that are working right now, like the most. But and I think even so, like to Sean's point, like even the DC uh, EU films like that aren't working, like they should be there. Like, you can't have the DC Entertainment app, the one hub for all DC Entertainment, and not have your current television and and film franchises. Like, that, I think, is going to present a real marketing problem for them. You know, of, like, I think a lot of people will expect those things, and when they're not there, they're going to be upset. It it makes it seem like a hub for old stuff. It doesn't doesn't give me, yeah, a flavor of being fresh. That describes a lot of DC's content. <laughs> like, it's a hub for old stuff. Well, and that's the thing, man. It's like, I really think that would be fine if it also meant comics. You know, like, if it was, hey, this is not the place for new DC stuff, but you can do this and get access to, like, the DC archives. It's like, yeah, okay. Like, yeah, that that that's something I could totally see. They might as well just call it DC Archives. That's a sexy name. Yeah. I'm down for it. DC, DC, you don't get a choice in what it is. <laughs> I think pricing will determine a lot as far as whether people adopt this. Um, and beta will also will get a lot more information when the beta rolls around. Uh, hopefully, we can, one of us can get in there. That would be really cool. Um, but, uh, again, this fall. So not too long to wait. Although, I think if you announce this... A year from now, it's a lot more attractive. So Barnes & Noble has announced that it will be carrying more than 250 titles in a new section in the stores uh, for kids' graphic novels. Uh, Now, that's that's a segment of comics that's been booming lately. We've talked a lot about 
DC's efforts to put out books for young readers, for kids. Uh, and so now Barnes & Noble will be uh, jumping onto that and putting out just a ton of, of, of books for kids. Not putting them out, but uh, you know, hosting them in one place for children to get their books. What do you guys think about this? This is a great idea. Um, I mean, like, I think this is potentially super beneficial for both of these companies. Um, like, obviously, Barnes & Noble as a company has struggled uh, a, a bit at, with the digital revolution, but I think they've done a really good job of kind of diversifying their offerings, like making it uh, more of like a destination for people who like to read. Um, and they, they sell board games, you know, um, they, they sell toys and stuff to some degree, like they're, they're expanding their offerings in ways that make sense and, uh, trying to, um, find a way to not only survive, but I think thrive and like, you know, they've had like some really smart partnerships, like with, um, Starbucks and stuff like that. Right. So I think there are a lot of, uh, parents that go to Barnes and Noble to get a book, but also to sit down and have a cup of coffee. And the idea of there being a, a well, right? Like Kale, when he goes with his grandkids. Um, That's right. <laughs> that, I think, presents a really good opportunity for you to hit, uh, and, and not necessarily an untapped market, but an undertapped market, which is children. Children love superheroes, and if they're already a bookstore and they're fucking bored, they're going to be a lot more likely to flip through a comic book than probably anything else. Um, and I know like for me personally, that was always a thing. Like that's how I got comics when I was a kid, you know, was I'd go to the comic section and read while my mom was at Starbucks or whatever. And if I had read something, but not finished it, I usually convinced her to let me take it out, you know? Um, so I, I think this is a no brainer. And, uh, for me, it's something that I'm really excited about because any initiative that, um, gets younger readers involved with comics is a positive thing in my mind. You know, um, we often talk about how there aren't enough people reading comics for comics to be a sustainable thing or as um, sustainable as we'd sometimes like it to be. So like the idea of getting them while they're young and showing them that like this is, you know, um, maybe a medium for them is great. Yeah. In my opinion, it's good. Great. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Wow. All right. This is the uh, top level fucking commentary that we have you on this show for. So I do want to read a few words from Stephanie Freiling, who is the vice president of merchandising in the children's books uh, section at Barnes & Noble. Uh, Readership of graphic novels continues to grow and expand with kids flocking to this popular genre. Graphic novels are a way for kids to appreciate both reading and art, and the breadth of talent for both authors and illustrators in this category is amazing. So, uh, straight from her, I think this is an awesome uh, move on their part, and uh, it's really cool to see that there's, you know, I think we've talked about this on the show before, that we do want to see more uh, comics aimed at kids, and I think it's really cool that this is happening, and also that it's happening in the trade or graphic novel format, whatever word you choose. I personally don't really like the word graphic novel or phrase, but um, it gives kids something that they can pick up and read in one sitting and be done with it. I think it's a lot easier for kids to do that than to read one issue of, you know, Man of Steel and then, you know, try to figure out how to get the next one or to have a parent try to figure out how to get the next one. Yeah. Um, like, so. um, I know, like, for me, when I was a kid, that was, like, what really got me into comics in a meaningful way 
because like you would go to the comic book store like maybe this one time and get a single issue and then by the time you convince somebody to take you back you know it's moved on from from where you were um so trades were a great way to like actually get through real runs <laughs> um so yeah i i uh I, I hope this I hope this plays out for for Barnes and Noble and they're incentivized to continue to expand their comics offerings because they've always been one of the the holders that did a pretty good job of it. You know, I know when I was younger, they used to even have singles. Um, they so still do. There you go. I didn't know to that. To my knowledge, so, they still do. Yeah. Um, I know like the, every time I've ever been in one, though, they always have a really robust comic section. So um, it's, it's at least like three or four columns and it's like indie shit, too. You know, so. Um, so, yeah, this is great. Good on them. Hope it works out. And also, I think just as a general thing, it's good for kids to read books, period. Um, I, 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 um, I remember when I was growing up, just a lot of people I grew up with just were turned off by reading in general, you know? And I think comic books are... And it's an inspired way in general to get a young mind to just fucking read something. I mean, it's an inroad, you know, like when I, I started reading comics again for pleasure. And then that was when I started like actually reading books again for pleasure, um, you know, so I, I think it's totally a, a, a gateway drug. So, yeah, anything that gets kids to read, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what it was for me. Yeah. Uh, so now we're going to get into a block of several different stories that all have the same theme. Uh, and they're all comic books that are being adapted into film. But none of them come from the big two. Uh, and so we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about... That's going to lead us into our main topic, which is going to be us talking about this new sort of wave that we've seen over the last year. I think it's really, um, really gotten bigger. Uh, and what that means for film and what it means for comics. Uh, so we're going to start with a story that's close to us. Uh, Rebel Wilson uh, is announced to star in and produce the comic book adaptation for Crowded. Uh, so Let's Crowded, fucking go, Sabella. <laughs> yep. Crowded is a comic book uh, that is not actually out yet uh, by Christopher Sabella. Uh, and uh, it's drawn by Rose Stein and Ted Brandt. We've, we've had the entire creative team on the show. Uh, and we'll have them back at some point. Um, and Crowded is essentially a book about a uh, woman named Charlie who is being who's been targeted to be murdered on an app called Reaper. Um, and there's a bounty on her head, and she has to buy a um, a bodyguard, bodyguard. basically yeah. to protect her from death on the Defend app. Uh, and so, isn't, isn't it that he's like the lowest rated bodyguard on the app? Yeah, he's yeah. the lowest rated bodyguard. So uh, that's that's the book. This is what's what's happening. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm excited for this if for no other reason than it's attached to people who I really like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's 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 cool. Like that's a huge opportunity for them. And uh, you know, I know like. Um, Sabella talked a little bit about it on Twitter where, uh, or maybe it was Instagram, but either way, um, just about how it's so surreal for him because of all the times he's thought about like giving up, you know, and that like this thing that he created that's his, um, is getting all this attention before it's even out. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm so happy for him and, uh, and for, you know, 10 row too, right? Like obviously like when we talked to them, like they 
still see themselves as like breaking into the industry. So this is obviously going to get a lot of attention around the book. Um, even if this thing never gets made, you know, the book will probably get better readership because of it. Um, we saw the same thing happen with Descender, frankly, where the rights got picked up before issue one dropped. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, Descender must be a big deal. So I, yeah, like this is fantastic news for them. Um, you know, and uh, I'm really happy for them. And, you know, I hope, I hope it plays out. I would love to see more independent, um, comics actually get adapted. Cause I think that's the thing that's really healthy for, the industry overall in a bigger way because um, I think those those adaptions do actually lead to more direct readership for the books they're based on, whereas that's not always the case with Big Two stuff. Um, yeah, let's hold off on that bigger conversation. Sorry, sorry, yeah, yeah. Boy, do we but, have news for you. But look what happens when you make a guest appearance on the Comics <laughs> Pals podcast. Bump. do 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 um, do you think? Do you, do you guys think Denai Guerrero will play uh, the bodyguard oh, person that was uh, Okoye? Yo, that would be, be awesome. Beautiful. I love her. She's so good. Yeah. All right. Uh, unfortunately, it's impossible to say if the movie can fully go down the road of the comic because uh, we can't read the comic yet. Uh, we haven't. We're not cool enough to have uh, gotten a uh, a preview copy. But uh, Crowded will be out really soon, so uh, everybody will have the opportunity to read it soon. I'm not sure when it comes out. Does anybody know? It's right oh, around September the corner. September 19th. Yeah. September 19th. So, yep. Uh, now, another book, same, same deal, Image Comics Gideon Falls uh, is coming to TV and has been acquired by Hivemind after what was allegedly a multi-studio bidding war. Uh, so Hive Mind is made up of a bunch of different producers, uh, some people from Bad Robot, uh, actually the former Valiant Entertainment CEO. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Um, so Gideon Falls is a few issues deep. I've been buying it. Um, How is it? I, I was interested in it, but I didn't, I didn't get a chance to pick it up. Yeah, I like it. Uh, I bought it because I'm a fan of both creators, uh, Jeff Lemire and Andrea yeah. Sorrentino. I really like uh, both of their work. So it's described as an atmospheric thriller, colliding rural mystery, and urban horror. Uh, the series will enjoy an ensemble cast made up of a washed-up Catholic priest, an uncompromising female sheriff, and a young recluse obsessed with unraveling a conspiracy buried in his city's trash. All total strangers who are drawn into the same intrigue connected to a local legend. Yeah, uh, I'm into this. Jeff Lemire also writes Descender, right? Yes. He sure does. Yep. So that's two properties snatched up for him. Uh, and hopefully that means more money. And every fucking other thing under the sun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, man, like, that's, everybody's looking for that next uh, Walking Dead, you know? Like... Right. Are you saying more money, more, more money, more problems, Kale? Uh, probably not. <laughs> I would say so. How about more money, more uh, college fund? You ever, ha- you ever have less money? It, it don't create less problems. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, so, Animosity is another comic book property being snatched up. This oh, time I didn't hear about this one. Yeah, uh, Legendary Entertainment 
has acquired oh, wow. the rights to Animosity, which is an Aftershock comic. Uh, it's a survival story about an 11-year-old girl who struggles to survive when the world is plunged into chaos when animals suddenly get the power of speech and heightened thought and fixate on revenge against humans who've dominated them. Uh, the comic is written by Margaret Bennett and illustrated by Rafael De La Torre. So, um, that's great news for Aftershock. They've kind of been trying to make moves uh, in the comic space for a while now, and for them to have a book that gets picked up um, that, uh, to be made a film—that's really got, really awesome for them. Yeah, I feel like I feel like they're one of those like mid-tier publishers that have like kind of been on the rise. So it'd be they, great. For for as like mid tier publishers they are, they've got a lot of top tier talent. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah so I I really do feel like something like this could kind of push them over, you know, in a big way. Um, so that that's really cool. And then this I, also sounds like the kind of property that works that would work great. Yeah. In the film. Would be super would work really well on the big screen. I think. Um, and there's a lot of really positive groundswell around that book. Um, I haven't read it, but it's one that it's been on my radar for a while. Um, just because a lot of like comics, you know, people that I pay attention to have been uh, singing its praises. So, um, yeah, that, that would be awesome. Yep. Um, so that's something to look forward to. And then the last one that we've got is, uh, Valiant Comics Faith. Right. Yeah. Being worked on, um, by, it's being written by Maria Melnick who uh, wrote American Gods, the television show. Oh, cool. Yep. Um, And uh, currently the comic is being written by Jody Hauser, uh, who is an awesome writer. If you haven't read any of her work, you should. Um, But Melnick, the writer of the the movie, uh, wrote The Maze uh, and then some other stars stuff as well. So... She's, you know, she's, I guess you could say, probably an up-and-coming writer. She doesn't have a ton of credits to her name. Um, but for stuff at Stars, like, that that means she's good. That stuff is solid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, American yeah. Gods was good. Yep. Uh, what intrigues me most about this book, or about this, this happening, is that Faith, for those of you who don't know, is a valiant comic superhero who is actually plus-size. And... If this movie gets made, then it would be the very first time, to my knowledge, that a plus-size hero of any kind has been the star of their own film. Uh, and that is actually really intriguing. Uh, Faith is not a... Faith as a character is very jovial. Um, she's kind of... Hap- I don't want to say happy-go-lucky, but she's not... Doom and gloom. She's like upbeat. A lot of other, yeah, she's up. She's upbeat, uh, and so it's it's very different. That's a very different character than we see on on, on the big screen uh, at all, especially when it comes to superheroes. So, what do you guys think about that? Uh, there's going to be a lot of troll backlash if this movie comes out. Yeah, it's yeah, not going to be pretty. No, I mean, I think that like the angry fanboy tweets write themselves, right? Um, but I, uh, I think this is super positive, um, because, you know, I think like one of the things that like, like, like you said, right? Like faith is actually an enjoyable comic first and foremost. So let's just get that out there. 
um, before people start talking about SJWs or whatever. Um, but I, I think like having uh, having any media show a diversity of like body shapes is a good thing, right? Because like that is a consistent thing in uh, you know not even just how humanity. How, yeah, right, right. Like in in humanity, but like, and not even just specific to how to how women are portrayed, right? Like, um, it is a thing of like there are certain types of body types that you see in certain roles, and that's how it is, right? So anytime that you can break down that barrier and have some kid be able to look at a superhero and say, "Oh, that that looks like me," like that's good. Um, and I think specifically because of how, um you know, the fashion industry and, and what have you do tend to, uh, I think, warp young women's perceptions of themselves. I think it's doubly important for there to be uh, a, a woman who's not, who doesn't look like Gal Gadot. Not that there's anything wrong with that, right? Like, but showing that there's more than one uh, kind of way to be, you know, strong and beautiful and powerful and all those things are are there. That means a lot to a kid. And, um, and that's what I think is like so cool about the potential of Faith getting a bigger audience. You know, is being able to have that impact for more young girls um, and and boys. You know, um, so yeah, I, I hope this one. I hope this one comes together. I mean, I hope these all come together. You know, I want to see more indie indie success. The other interesting piece to this is that uh, Sony have the rights to the the Valiant uh, Entertainment properties, and so they're also working on the Bloodshot movie, which we've talked right, about with Vin Diesel, right? Um, yeah, with Vin Diesel. And so, uh, what about a what about a crossover? Maybe we'll get some Venom and Faith action on the big screen. Fucking stop! <laughs> I was gonna say, hopefully the Valiant universe is successful enough that they just leave Spider Man alone. <laughs> <laughs> I, the the thing that interests me about this is this also comes on the heels. I mean, a few a few months ago at least is the uh, the big like Valiant shakeup that happened um most if i believe if not all of the original um content creators and and sort of executives and people behind the scenes of the the big valiant boom are gone now because they were they were bought out by uh whatever investor that uh you know they were working with finally got you know a, a majority in the state the chinese investor yeah yeah so i you know i can't imagine that that will affect the movie you know I, they've had this stuff planned out for a while but i don't know it's it's all really interesting and there's also like the possibility too, like now they've made this deal, right? Like they could always bring back one of those original, if there was any of those creators who were like instrumental in these properties, like there's no reason they couldn't work on the film just because they're not with Valiant anymore. You know, like Bendis doesn't work with Marvel anymore, but we heard he might be writing that Kitty Pride movie. Right. So it's like, you never know. Well, yeah. What happened at Valiant, the shakeup was more uh, in the suit and tie realm. Right. So it was, it was more of a dump than a shakeup. And that's what happens with takeovers, right? They want to instill their own people that can meet their vision and not people who are going to be resilient to the change. Now, this all that we've talked about leads us into a a wider conversation that I wanted to have with you guys. And that is, can indie comics reinvigorate 
the comics to film market. We've talked ad nauseum about people saying that, that there's this big superhero bubble that's going to pop and that people are over these movies, even though there's no evidence of that, um, and, and all this jazz. So my question is, do indie comics being made into movies create that that space for people to go to the movies, watch comic book films, and sort of cleanse their palate from the more, you know, sort of general superhero films? And then also, does this possibly push Marvel and DC to do different things with their movies? Is, is there any way that this is a positive thing overall uh, for what we're seeing in Hollywood as it relates to comic book films. Uh, so I don't... Yes. Yeah. I I think... I honestly think it's kind of two separate things. Um, I think it is positive, but I don't... I don't think that it will actually have a major impact on the perception of comic book... quote-unquote comic book films or, or what have you, uh, or superhero stuff. Because I think to the general moviegoer they will probably not know that they are watching a movie that's adapted from a comic book. Right. Uh, if you, you look at the the massive popularity of The Walking Dead, right? Like, obviously, it's it's a bit in the decline now, but it being in the decline means it's, what, the second or third most watched show on television? So uh, it speaks to how much that brand uh, penetrated. Um, and and you know that there is a significant number of, of the viewership of that show that have no idea that it's based on a comic book. Um, yeah, uh, to that point, like, you know, stuff like uh, Atomic Blonde or uh, right. Snowpiercer. Or, um, or even Preacher, right? Like, like, yeah. who, like, how many people are watching that show and don't know that it's an original property? The Green um, Hornet. Sure, right. Um, although, to be fair, I guess he started as a radio serial and then had comics, but um, history. Uh, that's Phil's funky fact of the day, guys. <laughs> Stepping on my toes. <laughs> uh, so, but so, what I think we're going to see happen here is I I personally think that Hollywood um, at large is going to continue to snap up comic book properties in hopes that they can make their own Walking Dead. You know the the thing that is you know oh because because like you look at like where Hollywood's at right now and there isn't a lot of space for original ideas. Um, at least not when it comes to blockbusters, right? Like no blockbuster being made today isn't part of a established franchise that has a massive name recognition, you know, even if there isn't a fan base for it, right? Like we're constantly reviving old things that people don't really give a fuck about, um, but they know the name. Right? Like, they're making a new Thundercats cartoon. People don't really give a shit about the Thundercats, but they changed the style, and now everybody's mad, and now there's headlines about it. People might actually watch the show. Uh, so I, I think when it comes to that, I think comics are going to continue to be a farming ground for Hollywood, but I don't think that the creation of, like, a Why the Last Man movie, right, or TV show or whatever, uh, or, or Saga or whatever the fuck the next one is, um, I don't think that that discernibly changes the way people think about superhero movies or quote-unquote comic book movies because they're not going to see them as as two parts of the same conversation mm -hmm. yeah my my like I, I think exactly that that a viewer of a superhero movie doesn't know that that isn't what comic books also are like 
they they just if they're thinking comic book they're thinking superhero they're not necessarily thinking outside of that because a lot of them don't know and they don't like again it's like snowpiercer the walking dead like they don't know these things about the medium itself so why would they necessarily know about it why would the larger audience necessarily know about it um and kind of like from a different approach this is how i sort of see this is where the disparity in the industry versus everywhere else kind of see, kind of is for me because you know in a more mixed in a different medium you have movies and within these you have the superhero sets and then you have everything else that is like it would be indie comics but this kind of stuff isn't reflected in the actual industry it's dominated by the superhero stuff and then they're the extra like the ebbs and flows that are the indie stuff and for some reason that discrepancy is there only in this industry and because of that they're not going to see this as they're going to see it as just oh it's another story but not necessarily a comic story just to comment on something that you said, I actually don't think this is only in the comics industry, though, because I think I think the film industry is like that, too. It, it moves in major waves like this, right? Like, we've talked about the comparison between Westerns and superhero films. I just think superhero films are the big wave right now. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. But, I mean, like, just from... Just in general, they aren't... They don't make up 90% of the movies that are created. I mean, this is the thing. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. When it comes to major blockbuster films, there are maybe five at most super lucrative films a year. And that's true of comic books, too. And not, not, not in the same number, but in the sense that what dominates the pie chart of comic books is superheroes. And for the last 10 plus years, what dominates theaters in terms of revenue is superhero films, by and large. Uh, every now and then you get an outlier. Pixar will release a film, and that does really well financially. But by and large... Superheroes dominate both the pie chart of films right now, financially, and for comic books. Um, so if you are a major studio or even a smaller studio and you're thinking, one, there's been a reputation that Hollywood has been bankrupt for original ideas for some time. And any great film that is not of original IP has a small budget in the first place, which is true for comic books as well. A lot of indie books are produced on kind of margin on small margins, razor-thin margins. Um, but if, you are a comp- if you're a studio and you're devoid of these original ideas, you think maybe we can still profit on an Atomic Blonde or Walking Dead. But the reality is, though, even if they do these things, they're probably most likely just going to be um, modest successes at best because at the end of the day, a movie like Black Panther or Avengers Infinity War is going to be the most successful and lucrative film of any given year. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's absolutely true. Uh, and I think you guys have brought up some great points. Uh, I, have, I have a question. Do you guys think that if, if people knew that these were comic book films, would it would it change anything? Like would it make them less interested in seeing the movie? more interested in seeing the movie would people go out and buy the books i remember when harry potter was a thing and those movies started to come out and then all of a sudden everyone i knew read harry potter um i think that happens we've seen that happen a ton of times do you guys think that 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 anything would change um 
to some degree maybe but i don't i don't think so uh, by and large because my my uh anytime i've talked to like uh and a, a, a grown up we'll call them uh right who who watches the walking dead uh they don't know that it's based on a comic and when I, like when i tell them that it is they're not like oh you know they're like oh i didn't know that you know and i i don't think they really give a shit i don't th- like i think that there is a um I do think there's still a stigma about comics to some degree in terms of, like, just the stereotype of the nerd who reads comics, right? Like, that's still a a thing, but I don't think it's as much as it used to be, and I think there are a lot of, like, quote-unquote normies or whatever you want to call them that go and see superhero movies four times a year, and uh, I, I, I do think that that stuff as a whole has, is, is, like, deemed more acceptable, in the mainstream, whether or not you engage with it. I don't think that that means that they're going to go out and buy comics because a lot of them won't, but some of them might. Um, And I think you look at Walking Dead and it's a straight line, right? Like Walking Dead was a big book for Image before the show, but now it's a book that sells over 100,000 copies like regularly. And that's an anomaly in comics. You know, the fact that there's an Image book that's in the top 10 every month that comes out is not an accident. And it's, it's absolutely based on the success of the television show. But to put it in perspective, the fact that it was at its peak the most watched show on TV, regularly beating out fucking football, um, and it didn't translate to more than about 100,000 people reading the book, and you assume a certain number of them already existed, that one-to-one isn't – it's not that much. Like, you'll get some of them, but not not even what, like – What's that one percent? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and and in addition to that, it's it's possible that any given thing could be a pop culture phenomena, like Harry Potter was. But what makes Harry Potter so significant is that it was perhaps the 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 most iconic piece of media of the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, um, it, that was it, it was Star Wars for our generation. It was, you know? it, yeah, exactly. It was it was a Star Wars level craze. That lasted ten years. Um, those just don't come around very often. Now it's possible that any, like I said, any given one of these things could have that type of appeal. It's just you can't predict what it is, and it's just very unlikely because of how rare that kind of thing is. Yeah, and a big part of it is the right place at the right time, right? Like Walking Dead success, it was coming at kind of the plateau or peak, whatever you want to call it, of the zombie craze that we experienced in the early to late uh, to you know mid two thousands. And then with Harry Potter, everyone just wanted to wear a sorting hat. Well, it was fresh. It was a new IP, and we don't get a lot of those either. You know, like even the superheroes that we love today, they have all this history, and they're kind of intimidating to average people. Harry Potter was just a book. Ten yeah. points to Pete. The um, the thing about Harry Potter is that it's penetrable. You know, like like Pete said, you know, years and and decades of of superhero books. You know, even even stuff that's fairly contained, like the Winter Soldier, is still mixed up in comic book events and you know various crossovers and retcons, and retcons, and like. Harry Potter is one series and all the text is in six or seven books. You know, uh, the the appeal for, for these uh, movies based on indie books, you know, something like Crowded, you get, you know, you get all your material in one, two trades, 
for the first uh, you know for the first film maybe the book the book doesn't even you know it's not even out so that that's the craziest part about it is we don't even know what they're going to pull from because right now they to me it seems like they're buying ideas they're not necessarily buying the exact material itself because they bought this sight unseen pretty much right like i know for a fact that not more than three issues of crowded are done so uh they're they're buying an idea yeah they're paying for the concept and the hope that it's going to be a thing exactly and so my 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 other thing is like if comic books are worth that if comic bo- if comic book writers if comic book creators ideas are so good that they're willing to buy a book without even knowing if it's going to work right crowded could come out uh, it's not going to happen but let's say it come out and it could flop it could suck right they don't care they bought the idea cuz they liked it why not hire chris sabella right like <laughs> how how uh, Mark Millar got snapped up by Netflix? Why not hire uh, Jeff Lemire? Right? Why why is it that the creators themselves, you know, they get a producer role? Chris Abella got a a consultant consulting producer role on the crowded film. Why isn't he the writer? Why don't they give him a first look deal like what Kirkman got? Where where's that wave? I think I think there's a couple reasons for that. I think uh, the reason they don't hire them to develop original IP is because of what we talked about before is that original IP is risky. Um, basing it on something that has even a small independent movement behind it. Like, like here, like here's the thing, right? If they hired Chris Sabella and he was making an original movie for somebody, right? We probably wouldn't talk about it on this show. We might because we're buddies with Sabella or whatever, but that wouldn't happen in the same way with anybody else. Whereas the fact that it's based on a comic, it gets the nerd groundswell of, oh, it's based on this really cool indie comic. You should check out Crowded. It's really cool. And it, it there's something to that. You know, like there, there's a reason that I think Hollywood has trended towards that stuff. It's because it's safer. Um, and I think to, to the thing you said about writing, uh, I, I just wonder if it's like a they want to go with people who are like proven quantities in script writing. Uh, which, not to say that Sabella is not, but writing a comic script is different than writing a television script, which is different than writing a movie script. And he might get those opportunities later because of this. If Crowder does well and he produced it and he had a hand in it, that might be the thing that gets his foot in that next echelon in the way that it happened for Kirkman. So Kevin Smith's actually commented on this before, um, the barrier of comic book writers and screenwriter and, and becoming a screenwriter. Um, when he was tasked with writing Superman Lives in 1995, that was going to be directed by Tim Burton, starring Nicolas Cage as Superman. Um, Go watch the documentary felt, about it. <laughs> yeah. He, he felt overwhelmed by that prospect, and he said to Warner Brothers, why don't you go to your DC offices and hire any number of these Superman writers over there who like know the history, the lore, and can handle it with some some you know, respect instead of hiring the guy who wrote clerks that makes a lot of, you know, referential jokes. And like, this isn't really my thing. I just like comic books and like, well, no, you're a screenwriter. They're comic book writers. It's a different thing. But from his perspective, 
there are writers. A, a writer a writer who's able to craft a narrative can write a screenplay. So I have two two things. One to what Pete said. Uh yeah, there's that bump, but like we talked about, you said yourself, people don't even know that these things are based on comics. Right. So Crowded, for example, like Walking Dead was already popular. So it had the show would have had some fan base regardless because there were people who read the book and those people would have told their friends, etc., etc. Uh Crowded, for example, is a book that is, you know, super indie, not even out yet, doesn't have a fan base, could suck, and then they're going to make a movie, right? Uh, so if that's the case, then the the sort of boost that it's getting from being a comic seems very small. Snowpiercer, nobody knows that was a comic, right? And there are so many examples of that historically of movies that have done really well that were comics that no one knows, or books, even. Real books that nobody knows it was a book. Uh, so I don't understand why you wouldn't get the person who understands the content most to write it if it doesn't ultimately matter anyway. That seems more, to Phil's point, an antiquated thinking in terms of Hollywood. And I think it is. That Yeah, that's my whole point is I think it's an optics thing more than anything else is they have a perception of, uh, of Chris maybe, right? And we're just using him as an example, as like an idea guy. You know, like, and yeah, he had this great idea for this comic that we're going to put in the hands of a professional screenwriter, you know, and like, and I, I think that's, it, it is an antiquated way of looking at it because you're right. Like if his idea is worth all this money uh, or this, you know, this weight behind it, you'd think that um, he'd be more involved in the process. But I mean, again, you, you don't know because producers are really involved in the process. So it's like he could have a lot of creative oversight and then, you know, hopefully that puts a little faith in him from the studio. Well, producer, let's be honest. Producer means a lot of things. Producer is like, we want to give you money for this, so here's your title. Uh, it depends on the person, though, you know, right? It, it depends on like so many different things that it's impossible to it's impossible to say what that means. He could be he could be the consulting producer and have a ton of influence. He could be the consulting producer and have no influence. They keep him out of every meeting. He's still going to get paid because that's his title. But he could have no involvement. In yeah, it. and that's that's totally true. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I think mostly it's it's you know similar to comics. It's it's an industry where you have to break in and and prove yourself. You know, and I an idea is nothing. Anybody can have an idea. Anybody can sell an idea. But it's whether or not that idea will carry through and will bring money. You know, we, you know, as we've said, Crowded hasn't even come out yet. It may not be very good. I'm sure it will be. But, you know, uh, Rebel Wilson just bought the idea of Crowded. She didn't, you know, she didn't buy how good the movie's going to be. Nobody knows that yet. You know, um, you got to break into film and screenwriting the same way you got to break into comics. It, it's hard and it fucking sucks. Something I also wonder might be a wrinkle in it is like I wonder if there's on – well, I, you know, I guess not because I don't think that like Suits would really understand comics enough to think this. But like I wonder if on some level the fact that like comics are so collaborative that like – like uh, Chris said that like the book wouldn't have been the book if it wasn't for Ted and Roe. They put that comedic tone on it. Maybe that's what sold Rebel Wilson on it. She's a comedian, right? So, you know, like was it 
Sabella's pitch or was it their art or was it this or that? And I'm, I'm speculating to speculate at this point. I'm not actually like saying I think or feel any of these things. Just that like, you, you never know like what the suit who doesn't really get comics, but wants to buy the next Walking Dead is actually thinking about what's fucking going on. You know what I mean? By its very nature, most films are a very collaborative process. Um, just in general, the process of making a film. Sure. Unless you have a very, uh, authoritarian director who has a very strict vision. Most, most films are a very collaborative process anyway, like a comic book would be. And, um, I do want to say that we are, in fact, saying that Crowded will be the next Harry Potter. <laughs> hey, I are, wish. Okay. <laughs> We are uh, saying that. I, I don't know. I guess the reason why I brought that up is because it just feels like these creators are and – and they're doing it willingly and I'm sure that there is some kind of kickback for them. But it feels like they're they're kind of being – Probed for ideas. Probed, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I and, mean that's, that's what it is. And with, without, without necessarily getting the – what they deserve for it, and that already happens in comics, right? Like if you work for Marvel or DC, um, so it sucks the idea that that's going to continue now into film, and then it's going to happen to people who went out of their way to retain the rights to their book. So, like the reason why you would do this uh, with Image, right, is because Image is going to let you keep the rights. So if something happens, you could publish it elsewhere. Uh, Marvel and DC aren't doing that for you. And then you're going to make this a film and then nobody's going to know or care that you did it, that you were the creator. And then some, you know, suit in Hollywood's going to reap the benefits while you still live wherever the hell you lived before. See, and your life doesn't change. I don't think that's necessarily true, though, because I because I think that like if. Like, to continue using Crowded as an example, right? Say Crowded takes off and it makes a ton of money. Spell's going to get a nice paycheck. And if he did have a significant hand in production, that puts his name on the radar as a producer. And if he didn't, he still sold an idea that was produced into a really, like, hot script. And that does give you clout in Hollywood. And that might be the opportunity to sell, oh, that did really well? Let, let, it, let me buy the rights to Short Order Crooks. You know, like... And I, I honestly think, like, to Kale's point, you, you've seen that for people. Like, that happened with um, Fraction and Deconic, right? Like, they have their – it's, I think, called Milk Milk Boy Productions. Milk-fed uh, criminal mastermind. Milk-fed, thank you. Um, milk Boy's a venue in Philadelphia. Uh, yes, it is. It's a good it one. It is. Um, but, yeah, so, like, they – sold the rights to or you know fraction sold the rights to sex criminals or and i know deconic had signed some other deal for one maybe bitch planet or something and then they were like all right we've gotten enough clout we've made context we're gonna start our own production company you know and like but all, all that said fraction has been writing for other tv uh shows for a while now right and I, I think that's the thing he's cutting his teeth right and like now he has clout in that world as not just the comics guy as a writer you know, and as a producer. And um, I think the same thing's true of Kirkman, right? Like Kirkman started as, you know, he was the executive producer of The Walking Dead and he wrote some of the episodes. He just signed a deal with Amazon to produce content with Skybound there, you know? And I, I think you will see a lot of these creators um, find more success in Hollywood because of their work in comics. Um, I think I think those are, I think those are different. Uh, yeah. Kirkman... Kirkman with The Walking Dead, like you said, he was an executive producer. 
Uh, they gave him a lot of freedom on that show. He's, he writes for the show. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. If Christopher Sabella was writing this movie, I wouldn't be saying these things. Uh, he's not writing the movie. I'm and saying so, he might write the next one. But And also, it depends on the studio, you know? Yeah, AMC they're, you know, was small and could you needed a hit, so they're like, yeah, we'll give you a creative freedom, whatever. You know, like... If- if if Alan Moore was here, he would definitely cast some dark magic spells on your opinions there, Pete, because this is a man who feels he's been routinely screwed over by this process. His creative ideas being purchased by other companies, and in his mind, because he's so protective of what he's done, uh, making bastardizations of them. Well, sure, but you like that's like a. I don't think that that. I don't think that that's a relevant. Uh, wrinkle in this conversation because the stuff like the majority of Alan Moore's adaptions of his work happened in a way different time in comic books and a way different time in Hollywood. Um, and like, and not to mention the fact that a lot of his stuff was owned by one of the big two, which is not image, you know, which isn't uh, aftershock, which isn't valiant. Um, and th- they play by different rules, you know, like uh, the fact that like, Kirkman's Skybound imprint is technically a part of Image as an imprint, but he's also using it to produce films and card games and video games and all kinds of other random shit speaks to, I think, what is a possibility for these creators, you know? And and I, and I don't think everybody's going to have – it's not going to be a one-to-one thing. Just because Sabella sold this thing doesn't mean that he's going to become a major Hollywood producer. But I think that – Deals like this give these guys an opportunity to cross over in a way that they didn't have a chance before, um, or at least a, a a a lot less of them did. You know, like we even saw Jeff Johns, right? Like Jeff Johns made that deal where he's going to be producing original stuff. And again, he's Jeff Johns, right? But who was Kirkman before Walking Dead took off? Nobody. Yeah, but Jeff Johns. Yeah, but the, the reasons why, like I, all I'm saying is I want to see Christopher Sabella get what he deserves for this not pay dues he already paid his dues because he's gotten to this point now is when you now is when you cake you know now is when you see the big bucks because somebody bought your idea that's what i'm saying i want to see i don't think that he I, should- I mean but what you're saying is exactly what happened now he has to pay his dues for hollywood yeah it's a different industry you know in the same way he cut his teeth in comics it's time for him to cut his teeth in Hollywood. And I'm saying I disagree with that. I'm saying if well, he... Well, fuck your he, opinion. I, I understand uh, that. No, that I, I, I agree with you as a I person. <laughs> like, I, no, I, yeah, I wish that's how it worked, but I, I'm saying I guess I see why it doesn't. I don't. Yeah. I think I think writing is writing. I think... Uh, and, and and even beyond that, just the fact that he's, he it was his idea. Like, I want to see him get paid for that. Yeah. You know? But... Um, I mean... I think... Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think. Any, I don't think any of us disagree. I think Kale and I are just playing devil's advocate for like how Hollywood is, you know, and like not that I think that's right, you know. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, well, I, I mean, you know, as far as that goes, even you know, that's giving another writer a job, you know, and that's also important. What do you mean? The fact that Sabelle is not writing it means somebody else is. Yeah. And I mean, while that does suck for Sabella, some other poor schmuck has a job and is going to get to cut their teeth on uh, a movie. 
You know? Well, someone's going to have a job. What I'm saying is Sabella should have the job because no one right. knows the and, content better right. than him. Right, uh, but what, that, that is what I'm saying is just like, you know, that that is also a positive. It It is tangential and it, you know, sucks for Sabella, you know, kind of. Right, uh, like he's but, still going to make money on this deal. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see why he's not getting a writing credit. Like why not have him be one of two script writers or whatever or, you know, like – because he's not the screenwriter, he'll be credit. If, if anything, he'll be credited as like the original author, created kind of by Creator, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that said, you know, uh, that's only right now. That stuff could, you know, stuff could change. Because I, because that's something I honestly think is a good thing. Like I think I honestly think that like Robert Kirkman's involvement in the Walking Dead TV show is like a perfect model for like how adaption should like this should play out. Like he writes some of the episodes. Right. Like he is an executive producer for everything. He's involved in everything. But there are a lot of other people that do have that experience that he never had. He was never in a writer's room. He never wrote television before. And having those people there to help him uh, make that transition was probably to the show's benefit and to his benefit. You know, and I think like having the creator as involved as makes sense is always the best thing. I think. Yeah, I think that that philosophy applies great to television. Uh, where you do have writers. It's a collaborative thing in a way that, like, usually movie screenwriting isn't as much. But it's not uncommon to have two people write a screenplay. That's super common. That is, but a lot of times when you have that, those two individuals have a relationship that leads to that. And then also, lots of times, uh, the baton gets passed. So, like, I write a script, but Pete thinks it sucks. So, I so rewrite it. Kale to rewrite it. Yeah. And then we both get paid. Like, I get paid regardless. I would love to see Sabella write a version of it. And then if they want to screenwrite it up, do so. But he gets paid. But anyway, uh, I think we've 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 beat this horse uh, enough. It's going to limp along. Indie comics are good and so are movies. Boom. Yeah. And let's and let's see everybody get paid and get their just desserts from their hard work. Uh, Hell yeah. I'm glad I'm glad that people are finally realizing over the last more and more over the last like few years that comic book creators have fantastic ideas that translate into any medium uh, if if you so choose to do that. Um, but I would love to hear your thoughts on this issue. Uh, what book would you like to see? Uh, made into a film what comic book would you like to see made into a film that's that's the question for you guys at home uh you can let us know your answer to that in a million different ways uh we are on apple podcasts and all their podcast hosting platforms we're at the comics pals wherever your social media is sold you can write to us at the comics pals at gmail.com you can write in with a random question of the week a buy or sell or your thoughts on anything we talked about on this or any other episode of the comics pals and of course, we are on YouTube, where you can like this video, share it with your friends, drop us a comment, and subscribe to our channel. Hugely important to what we're doing over here. It's free to do, helps us out a lot more than it costs you, so do that. And of course, be sure to hit that bell so that you get alerted when we upload stuff. Notifications! Plus, Pete. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. If you guys want to connect with me, you can find me on social media at loud underscore Pete 
And you can find me on all of our other programs. I am the host of our sister show, The Video Game Pals, uh, where Sean, I, uh, Andy, and Thompson talk about video games, much the way we do here on The Comics Pals. So if you're a gamer, please go check that out. You can also find me and Thompson on our Let's Play show, Pals Play, Monday through Thursday, over on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash thecomicspals. We're currently playing uh, Vampire as our ongoing game, and uh, this week we should be uh, diving a little bit into the Life is Strange 2 prequel, The Awesome Adventures of Captain Spirit, which is all about a little boy who dresses up like a superhero. So look at that synergy, everybody. Awesome. I don't, uh, I don't like synergy. I hate that word. <laughs> Whoa. Corporate branding. Oh my god, blow me, you guys. It was a joke. <laughs> Go to hell, Pete! Boy, I'm already in it, Phil! Every elsewhere. Saturday with you! That did Fair. not go over well. Kale. You can find my stuff at selfie.com slash panels publishing. Um, I'm also on uh, Comixology uh, with panels under panels publishing. Um, the panels crew right now is also at Glasgow Comic Con. Um, that'll be over by the time this is out, but um, Godspeed, and I wish you all the best. Please go retroactively buy their books. Um, if any of our listeners have uh, time machines, uh, please use it for good. And if, uh, if you want to buy the rights to From the Deep or any other panels publishing uh, book, you can email me at pete.imbessy at gmail.com. <laughs> That's weird. I didn't know panels had an agent, but all right. Uh, you can find me at Toto Into. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Kale? Or, I'm so Kale. <laughs> you can find uh, my stuff at... <laughs> From the top, take two. Oh, Marco. You guys look so much alike. Oh, yeah, the, the, the glasses, honestly. Um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Mr. Marco Animoto. Um, come talk to me about horror things and uh, indie comics. Um, there's a a new book by uh, Jinji Ito coming out that uh, I am very excited about. So yeah, baby. if you want to talk, let me know. Phil? Folks... Please keep me in your thoughts and prayers as I go off to fight the Shi'ar War and the Space Force for this, for these United States. And in doing so, you can reach me at all social media platforms at Cyborg Bebop. Let's go get those bird people. Uh, and as for me, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Soapbox, where we can talk about whatever you want to talk about except whatever the fuck Bill just said. And with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. See you next week! Thanks for listening. Bye!